So, how do you climb the greasy pole that is your career? What is the secret to getting ahead at work, impressing the boss, being promoted? Well, you'll be surprised by the answer. According to the people who know these things and published on a website called DubaiCareerGuide.com, the number one way to get ahead in your career seems so out of kilter with what you would expect that you may even wonder if everything you've been told is true. You know, hard work, respect your employer, obey your boss, don't rock the boat. No, here is the advice. Act like you own the place. So I tried to imagine how acting like you owned the place would further your career. In most jobs, acting like you own the place uh, would be a surefire way to end your career. So you walk into the office and in your slippers and dressing gown, you glance out of the window and shout at the kids to get off your lawn. You go to the staff fridge and help yourself to that fancy yoghurt your colleague brought in. And then you slouch at your desk playing video games on the computer for the rest of the day. That is acting like you own the place and I can't see how it will boost your career. Turns out I didn't really get the point of the article. It explained that what you would do when you act like you own the place is to think like your employer and take responsibility for success and failure. Taking responsibility for finding solutions to problems. Taking responsibility for mistakes and for applying what you have learned through them. Taking responsibility. Hmm. I guess that might work. I love the simple voice of Jesus in today's Gospel lesson. It's a famous story. It is actually the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four Gospels. The transformation of two fish and five loaves into a banquet for 5,000 people with enough leftovers to fill 12 baskets. Jesus is making his way around the towns and villages of Judea. He has received rave reviews. He has healed people. He has wowed the crowds with his wisdom and insight into God and life and everything. And he has shown power over creation. So not surprisingly, he has attracted a busload of groupies who are now f following him wherever he goes. And on this particular day, Jesus and the Twelve crossed the Lake of Galilee, hoping to get a few hours' peace and quiet away from his adoring fans. How do we know this? Well, in Matthew's version, he says that Jesus has just heard the news of, his, of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist, and he, quote, withdraws to a solitary place. Of course he does. Jesus is shocked by this murder. He needs space alone to grieve. 
Imagine then the frustration, even the anger of the twelve disciples when having accompanied Jesus to the other side of the lake, they look down and see hordes of people getting out of boats, others clambering up the hillside, still others trekking along paths with their donkeys, and all of them, 5,000 of them, making their way to Jesus. But Jesus Grief-stricken though he was, tired though he was, emotionally wrung out though he was, looks with eyes of compassion and his heart, that big, passionate, giving heart, is moved to give once more, actually 5,000 times more. Round numbers are so satisfying, aren't they? They're perfect. And 5,000 is more perfect than most round numbers. I'm aware that some of you may never have pumped your own gas, having lived most of your life in New Jersey. But in other places where people do pump their own gas, there is living proof that people like round numbers. According to the Journal of Economic Psychology, psychologists analysed over a thousand self-pumped gas purchases at a convenience store in upstate New York, and they found that almost 60% of them ended in zero cents. Another 7% ended in one cent, which must be that they were just marginally too late at releasing the pump when it got to zero. The miracle isn't a cut price four ninety nine ninety nine kind of miracle. It's a 5,000 type miracle. The sellers of luxury goods don't sell things for forty nine ninety nine. It appears cheap. What may attract customers when it's a tin of beans, 99 cents, will actually turn people away when they're buying luxury goods. So Gucci sells a handbag for $5,000 because 5000 shows quality. I said that I love the simple voice of Jesus in this story. This is actually a scene of anxiety. There are huge problems. There are thousands of hungry people, many of them sick or disabled. The disciples are rightly concerned. It's getting late. The shops will soon be closed. They need food or some folks will struggle to get home this evening. Jesus, what should we do? And in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus in control of his emotions, trusting in God's unseen plan, simply says, give them something to eat. Act as if you own the place. Take responsibility for the problem. Be part of the solution. Don't merely point out how things are lacking. Give them something to eat. In the training manual for the Ritz-Carlton hotel chain, there's a motto. It goes, if you see a problem, own it. Saying, it's not my responsibility, it's someone else's job, he or she should do something about it, is just not good enough. 
There's a cartoon we've all received in our email boxes of Jesus sitting on a park bench next to a man who says to him, Lord, why do you let the hate, famine, war, suffering, disease, crime, homelessness, despair exist in our world? And Jesus replies, that's strange. I was about to ask you the exact same question. Sometimes we say to God, Lord, do something. Don't you see the mess the world is in? Don't you see the suffering right here in our own town, our state? And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, you give them something to eat. You take responsibility. You do something about it. Act like you own the place. I wonder whom you identify with in the feeding of the masses. Maybe you're one of the twelve. Lord, there's a problem. Please do something. I think that's usually me. We need to hear Jesus' response. You, you give them something to eat. Take responsibility. Act like you own the place. I am sick of the culture of blame we live with. If there's a problem, there must be someone to blame. If only we use the energy we spend on blaming others to identify how we can be part of the solution, I think we would all be less stressed, more unified and more fulfilled. If you are one of the twelve, maybe there's a lesson here for you. Don't sweat the problems. Don't doubt God's resources. Simply take what you're given and put it to good use. As we give, so we will discover that our resources will not run out. We will complete the task God has set before us and we will have 12 basketfuls left over. We will see the miracle. We will experience the lavish generosity of God. Because the Christ who made two fish and five loaves enough to satisfy thousands of people's hunger is the same Christ who is with you and in you. God has an endless supply of whatever it is you need. Patience, peace, contentment, material things, time, love. Name your resource. The resource you feel low on and you're wondering how you are going to make it stretch to meet the demands of the post-pandemic life. Hand it to God for his blessing. Then just go and experience the God of endless resources. Maybe you're one of the 5,000. Hungry, empty, needy, pained, curious, intrigued by Jesus and eager to know more. Maybe you are still, after all these years, looking for a miracle, an emotional healing, forgiveness, a sense of peace. Maybe, like the 5,000, you've made a real effort to get to Christ, to receive what you need. Well, if so, this morning, don't be nervous about asking. God's love is unlimited and his heart is compassionate. 
Maybe, though, you don't identify with the crowd or the twelve. Maybe you don't have any great needs at the moment. Life is going well. You're comfortable in body, mind and spirit. There's nothing worrying you or causing you distress. Relationships are good. Health is fine. So you're not one of the 5,000 searching for Jesus, and you're not one of the 12 with the responsibility to meet their needs. Instead, you identify with the boy on the hill. Remember him? That lad who had brought his brown bag lunch to eat while he listened to Jesus? His mum had packed him with five bread rolls and two small fish, but something amazing happened to that lad's lunch. Jesus wanted it. All it was was five rolls and two sardines, but Jesus needed them, and so he gave them up. And in the hands of Jesus, that meagre lunch was transformed into a mighty feast. Bring to God all that you have and all that you are. God will use you in a way that exceeds what you can imagine. God can use even us to do great things. Look what can happen when meagre resources are offered to Jesus. And as we offer God our money, our time, enthusiasm, energy, gifts, abilities, so we can expect him to take them, bless them, multiply them, and distribute them to the needy multitude. That boy, you see, was from a humble family. John tells us that the loaves were made from barley, and barley is what lower status people ate because it was cheaper than wheat. The ancient philosopher Philo wrote that barley is, quote, of somewhat doubtful merit, suited for irrational animals and men in unhappy circumstances. The boy didn't bring an expensive offering. He didn't hand over anything precious or refined. He handed to Christ something of doubtful merit. These are momentous days. God has placed us in this place at this time for a purpose. It was for this moment that we were born. As we emerge from the pandemic, let us assess what we have to offer God. It may be, in Philo's words, of doubtful merit, but let us offer it without reservation and without fear. Take responsibility, act like you own the place, and God will use us. Amen.